speaking out the word, there's health, there's healing, there's deliverance. So we thank you. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. It paid the price, redeemed us unto God. And in that redemption, you forgave our sin totally and completely. You washed us, you delivered us, you made us whole. That really we might live without excuse. No reason that we could pose to not live with you and joy and fulfill your will. So help us. Grant unto each one of us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Flood every heart with light. That we might know the expectation of your calling. That in that light, any dark area reserved might be exposed. That we might lay aside every weight, every sin that would beset us. So we might freely run our race. Opening up and seeing Jesus, the author and the finisher. We'll give you the glory and the honor, the praise, and the thanksgiving for everything that will be accomplished by your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Good morning, church. How are you? Why don't you look at somebody next to you and say, the life of God dwells in me. Life of God dwells in you. Therefore, you have victory in every situation, under every circumstance, and in every place. And your victory releases a fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere you go. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Somebody might say, why do you always say that? Well, we'll say that until you really get it. Amen. So when each one of us is living in that full victory and we all smell like victory. Amen. Uh, then we'll go on to something else. But... Uh, when we get it, it'll, it'll be a great blessing. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we want to just pick up where we uh, left off uh, last week. We've been talking about, not last week, but uh, week before, talking about the blood. And uh, again, I encourage you um, uh, to come back tonight. I believe that there's something in uh, whenever you have testimony. And so, uh, you know, again, um, some of you don't even have to testify. Pastor Tasha testified for you. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, in your testimony, um, you know, there's great power uh, because if he did it once, he'll do it again. And sometimes you might think, well, I don't want to uh, testify. I'm a, I'm a little nervous here. But as you step out because of what Jesus has done, uh, somebody may be having a similar situation. And they know that if he did it for you, he'll do it for them. You might think you're a little bit more than that, um, but they don't. They're like, my God, if he'd do it for them, he certainly would do it for me. And... Uh, so, praise the Lord. It's good because he will do it again. He's no respecter of persons. And if he did it for you, um, he will do it uh, for anyone and has already done it. And so, I uh, just ask you to do one thing. You know, testimonial services from, uh, you know, we, we uh, have children's church and all that, so we don't want to keep them till midnight. Um, but, you know, in times past where, I, you know, I, I came into more of a, a Pentecostal church, full gospel church, and they had testimonial nights, uh, uh, you know, they'd have a long testimony. 20 minutes of the testimony would be what the devil had done to them all their life, and two minutes what Jesus did. So just think about a little bit more about how explaining what Jesus did rather than what the devil has done. All right? Praise the Lord. So if we can get that kind of like that boom, I know you're working on it. Um, uh, 
from my voice that will help us a little bit. Will it help you if I'm actually up on the top? Is it different because I'm down here or is it just something we're working on? Don't know? All right. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. All right. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, and we're talking about the blood of Jesus Christ, the power that's in the blood of Jesus. And so as we begin to look at this today, uh, you know, I'm going to process a few things with you uh, coming out of last week and the miracles and the healings and the things that were said, some things just really impressed upon my heart. And so I'm processing those as we go through uh, some of this that applies uh, uh, to us. But uh, as we are uh, looking at this, and especially today, we started off the year really, uh, really beginning in, in December, and I know this sounds like review, but I want to impress upon you with Proverbs 3, Psalms 37, to commit all of our ways, acknowledge him in all of our ways. Somebody say all of our ways. All of our ways, and to commit your ways to him, and he'll direct your paths. And so he says, really, if you've given it all to me, then I'm able to do something with it. And so we really uh, were impressed with this going into 2023. We hit 2023, still praying that way, still continuing to move that direction, but God spoke to us that these two years, 2023, 2024, would be turning point years. Uh, uh, certainly a turning point being a, a, a point in time where significant change takes place. So some of you last week was a turning point. Significant change took place in your body, but there are things taking place. And so uh, another part of turning point is it's a watershed moment. Uh, and so a watershed moment is when different tributaries uh, come together and they fill up, right? Which when we were praying, when I was praying about this turning point, as was, I was impressed with that based on prophecies that have gone before about our time uh, in history, that there would be a, a culmination of different movings of the spirit, different things, there would be a culmination of those things. So a, a, a turning point, a watershed moment is when different tributaries all have storms coming together. The river rise, uh, or the streams rise, they come to the river, the river rises, and a big watershed moment is to the point that when it flows into the lake, there's such force, there's such filling that it even breaks out the dam. Amen. And so spiritually speaking, that there are things that are coming as we see and commit everything to God, that there's going to be a culmination of things he's spoken, things he's said personally in your life, but also corporately. And so we've seen sprinklings of that. We're seeing revival break out, uh, sprinklings of revival even last week as people were revived. They were awakened to some things concerning healing or the word of God. Don't, don't discount those moments and say, oh, well, that was a great meeting. Don't go chasing meetings. God's doing something in you and right here. Uh, uh, but today I believe that something, this is part of that in that place. So Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, uh, very important to note. He said, they overcame him. Who did they overcome? The accuser of the brethren, the one who accuses day and night. And so sometimes, you know, we think, well, maybe that's just the devil up in heaven, but really he's just working. Sometimes your neighbor is accusing you. Sometimes your inner voice is accusing you. Right, And so the devil's just constantly trying to find an avenue to make you feel like you don't measure up and, and give a substantiation. So, you know, in this, he's talking about the accuser day and night, but they overcame him. You overcome accusations of not being good enough, not fulfilling enough. Being, you overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. 
So they overcame by the blood of the lamb, the word of the testimony. And then this statement, I want you to highlight this, underline this. And they loved, they did not love their lives to death. They did not love their lives to death. And so, again, we may think of just martyrdom there, but really martyrdom is a culmination in time. If that was the situation or historical place that you lived in, martyrdom would be that. But really, when you understand the blood of the lamb and you have a testimony of the application of the blood to your life, it changes your life that now you don't love your self-life, it dies out, right? So you can't love your own life, your self-life, to the extent that you're trying to save it because Jesus said you'll lose it. But he said when you have a testimony of what the blood of Jesus has done, your old self-life dies. I don't love my self-life that much that I would exchange it for his life or the God life. All right, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in him, speaking of Jesus, all the fullness should dwell, and that by him to reconcile, somebody say reconcile, all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind, highlight that, in your mind, by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. That word reconciled means be brought into relationship or restored to right relationship. So reconciliation has everything to do with righteousness. So the blood of Jesus, he says now, the blood of Jesus, we have the blood and the word of our testimony, which makes us not love our own life even to death. Now it says by the blood of the cross, he's reconciled us to a relationship, the relationship with him that would cause us to no longer have a mindset, right, of dead works. Or evil works, not a mindset of the evil that has been, but now it's changed because reconciliation, restoring to right relationship. Let me just use it like this. Sometimes people are just in their mind, they're thinking about heaven, they're thinking about heaven being way out there, but he reconciled whether things in heaven or on earth. Right, And they're moving. We talked a couple weeks ago about the eternal part of God. It's never changing. It's not simply without beginning or end longevity, but eternity means it's never changing. In other words, the mercy of God being new every morning isn't like God whipped up new mercies. His mercy is the same. It will be exactly the same tomorrow as it is today. Right? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why? Because he's in the eternal realm. And so it's not about starting and decaying. The eternal is about this sameness of God. Aren't we thankful that God is the same? He told uh, the, the Israelites in Malachi, he said, you are not consumed simply because I'm the same. Right? I'm the same. My mercies are the same. My forgiveness is the same. So even though you left me, I haven't left you. Even though you're worthy to be destroyed because you've left me, I haven't left you, therefore you're not destroyed. But you're not receiving the blessing because you left me. But you're not destroyed, so if you return to me, the blessing's still available. Why? Because the blessing is in eternity. The blessing is in who God is, not what we've done. 
So we get to return to that. But that reconciliation, right? So it's not like, uh, you know, God was in Glenwood Springs and, you know, to contact God, you always had to get and go to Glenwood Springs. You had to go a distance to find God. And then they say, well, now righteousness or reconciliation has happened. Now God, he's right here. He's sitting in the front row. Now, now, now I have a relationship. I don't have to go all the way to Glenwood or I don't have to go through all this stuff to get there. He's right here. And that would be awesome, wouldn't it? That would just be awesome if God was here. And we say, well, he is here. He's, he shows up. He's not in Glenwood. He's here. But it's deeper than that. It goes farther than that. And our consciousness uh, to this, I believe, will make uh, such a dynamic change to us is he didn't just show up, come from Glenwood and show up, so we're just hanging out. No, he came and he lives in us. Amen. He didn't just come to have this relationship like this. He came and moved on the inside of you, right? Which is really vastly different than him sitting right there, right? So when he takes up residence on the inside of you, he said, I'm reconciling to the relationship that I intended from the very beginning. And the most intimate relationship known to a human being. And that is, I'm not just here with you, I am in you. You don't get more intimate, you don't get closer than that. You don't get more knowledgeable of a person, except they be in you. You don't become more vulnerable to anybody, except for they be in you, right? Lots of times, we, we you know, nowadays, vulnerability is such a great word, we feel so ooey-gooey about it. But most people, because they have the ability, aren't actually being vulnerable. They think they are. But there's, they got all kinds of stuff still hidden. You want to be vulnerable, figure out Christ in you. Because whether you know it or not, you're vulnerable. He knows everything about you. I always like it, you know, when we get to prayer and we're like, God, I don't know if you know this or not. That just tells us our consciousness of God being in us. I don't know if you know this or not. So many of us, we just have this idea, and I've been processing this from this standpoint. Many of us have this idea concerning reconciliation and relationship with God, that I have a good relationship with God. I have a Christian relationship with God. I get up and pray every single morning. I have my prayer closet, which praise the Lord. I'm glad that you do. But your consciousness is, I leave the prayer closet and I go to work. So Jesus is back at the prayer closet. So if I don't pray every morning, I'm in big trouble because I have to pray and Jesus is in my prayer time and I got to go to work. Or some people believe that Jesus is here at church. And so when you walk out those front doors, praise the Lord, Jesus is at church, but I got to go out about my week. So whatever I do in my week, whatever I decide, however that messes up, Sunday I'll come back and meet with Jesus and his people, get that all straightened out. And because of that type of consciousness, we have trouble. We struggle throughout the day and we struggle throughout the week because we get to places on Wednesday and we're like, God, where are you? And even though we don't mean it, we, we come to that question because we think he's back at church or back in the prayer closet where we left him. And we left him there because of the convenience of on Wednesday, if things are going good and I want to go to the bar, certainly I'm not taking Jesus. By Wednesday, things happen, and I want to look at porn. I'm certainly not taking Jesus. After I do that, I'll go back to the prayer closet and say, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I don't know if you know this or not, but I was really tempted with porn. I don't know if you know it, but I'm really sorry. 
Like, hello, he didn't know it? It's our consciousness. Well, I got to come back to church. I got to get to church because that's where Jesus is, and I really messed up this week. And because of that consciousness, we start getting mad at God. We don't understand God because where was God when I needed him? Well, he was exactly where you thought you left him. Unfortunately, that isn't really where he was. He was right there where you were. You just didn't know it. Because we got so used to leaving him where we wanted to leave him. But he was right there. And if we were conscious of that, we probably wouldn't have gone there. I mean, really, if we could actually see it, this is using just my imagination, but the number of times when you get home and you think, I don't know if you know this or not, the Holy Spirit's like, what do you mean, know this or not? Why did you take me there? We'd go, what? I'm sorry, I will never take you there again. So our consciousness of Christ in us is going to make the difference of living the high life and actually seeing the miraculous work through you. Now let me break this down a little bit. So just think about it. If you think Jesus is back at the prayer closet, so I can pretty much do whatever I want through Monday through, you know, whenever, or he's back at church Monday whenever. But now all of a sudden, I'm, I meet somebody, and I know, I know the word. I know what God's called me to do, and they, they're sick. And I know I should pray for them. I know I, I should, you know, just reach out and pray for them. But I'm wondering, what if nothing happens? What if God doesn't show up? Well, why would you think that way? Well, because I'm hoping he doesn't show up when I'm over here doing what I know I shouldn't do. I hope he's back at church in the prayer closet. But if I'm thinking that when my life is about what I want to do instead of what he wants to do, and then I need him, I'm not sure. But if my consciousness is that he's with me wherever I go, then as soon as I approach the door of this right here, I'm like, yeah, I'm not taking Jesus there. Then when I'm over here, it's like, Jesus is right here. I don't have to worry about whether he's showing up or not because in me, he just showed up. So now the assignments that we have to be light wherever we go, we're not like, really, can I be light where I go? We're not going, how do I have to work around all those people and all those sinners? I wish I could work with Christians. We're not doing that. We're saying, listen, I know why I'm exactly there amongst those sinners because I'm the light shining in the midst of darkness. All right, so I got to process this a little bit. So Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. He says, not with the blood of goats and of calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once, one time for all, having obtained an eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He said an understanding and a revelation of the blood of Jesus applied to your life will cleanse your conscience of dead works or cleanse your conscience. Or John says it like this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. He said that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, 
If, if we walk in the revelation of who he is, what he's done for us, who he is in us, we walk in the light as he's in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, right? And so we have fellowship with him. He says our fellowship. He said we have fellowship with each other, and our fellowship individually, which becomes collectively, is with the Father and with the Son. And if we're having fellowship with him, it says the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all sin, Amen. of all sin. And so we're, we're going to have to define sin for a moment. Y'all ready to define sin? Somebody's not, nobody's raising their hand like, not on your life. So sin is a super easy definition, right? So we, we think even when we're talking about being cleansed from sin, we're thinking like, yep, 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 I'm cleansed. From that, you know, when I was a kid and I smoked cigarettes, thank God the blood of Jesus cleansed me. Oh, yeah, yeah. When I used to party, and, 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 you know, that first joint, man, uh, I'm cleansed of that. That's washed away. And see, the enemy moves in us like that to where then we miss it. We're looking at this thing. Here's sin simply defined. Self-will over God's will. Self-will over God's will. James breaks it down like this. He said, you say, I think it's James chapter 4, verse 13. He says, you think in your heart, you know what? This year, I'll go here and do such and such and make this much money. And uh, th then next year, I'll go here and do this much and do that much. He said, wow, that's really arrogant of you. He said, you should say, if the Lord wills, I'll go do this and such. And if the Lord wills, I'll go do this and that. He says, your arrogance in such boasting, he said, for him who knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. So sin is selfly, uh, simply self-will over God's will. So now he cleanses our conscience of all sin, how we, do our, how we enter into self-will. So the Bible is always telling us and meditating upon the word of God. Why? To get our consciousness of what Jesus has done for us. So again, the enemy comes in and, and with a lack of knowledge of the word of God, we start thinking because we've been taught religiously that God's will is going to keep me from doing a whole bunch of stuff. So somehow the enemy says, well, doing your own thing is going to be far better than doing God's thing. And so do your own thing for a while. And, and, and really when things get rough or right before you think you're going to die, go ahead and do God's thing so you can get to heaven. And we manipulate in our minds so many things, but yet we're robbed from this fullness of life that God promised so if we go back to the beginning, very quickly, go back to the beginning. God's will just stated in the very beginning. I, my will for you is for you to be fruitful, for you to multiply, for you to fill the earth, for you to subdue it, for you to take authority over it, for you to take every realm that I have and flourish in it and grow in it and anything that comes against you in it, subdue it, hold a, uh, take a hold of it, take authority over it so that everything can grow, everything can flourish, everything can increase, everything can be full of my life Come that comes from you. Come Simply put, that's God's will. And he sees it, and because it's eternal, it's never changing. It's always the same. But in the garden at the very first, 
He said, here it is. I've created everything for you. My will is all of this stuff. Look at all of it that I've created for you. Everything I've created for you. Subdue it. Be fruitful. Multiply. Flourish in it. But there's one thing over there that you're going to be challenged with. And when you arrive at that place, it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you arrive at that place, you are going to be challenged with self-will, self-life. See, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil isn't that they just knew God and God was good, and then when they ate it, they knew evil. No, the challenge of the knowledge of good and evil was, I choose what I think is good and what I think is evil. Because God said the tree is death, and the devil said, it's not death, look at it for a while. And she looked at it for a while, and then she decided, even though God said don't eat it, I've looked at it, and I've decided I can. And the moment she chose self-will, self-life over God's life, subsequently Adam doing the same, they immediately knew something happened. We're separated from God life. And so their consciousness was always self-life. God did things in between, but right at the beginning, Cain, after sin. God said this, the power of God life, he said, but Cain was unable because of sin to choose. He said, why? Why has your countenance fallen? Why are you mad at me, Cain? If you just do what is right. He said, sin is knocking at the door. Sin, what is sin? Self-will, self-life is knocking at the door. It's challenging you right now. But if you do what's right, if you do what I told you to do, what? Right back there before Jesus. You will conquer sin. You'll rule over it. But if not, it will begin to rule your life. Begin to rule your life. And so this consciousness of what's going on. So, uh, you know, I, I can't remember if he said it exactly this way or if I just picked it up. God spoke to me. Uh, and I've been meditating on this all week. In fact, I had another message and I couldn't get away from it. And so... Um, like you're helping me process this. But he made this statement that as I meditate on it, I'm like, this just jumps out from the word of God. Whatever you are conscious of, you'll experience. Whatever you're conscious of, you'll experience. Right? So I noticed it. I listened to different people throughout the week, whatever you're conscious of. So if you're conscious of how somebody has hurt you and you're talking about it, you're actually experiencing over and over and over that hurt. an offense, pain in your body, right? All kinds of different things are going on because the enemy brings it up. I'm more conscious of that. But if we are more conscious of the life of God in us, if we're more conscious of him in us, right? So Christianity defined. If we go through it, Paul said this. Paul said it's a mystery that's been hidden from the ages and the generations that God revealed to him as he met Jesus on the road, as he was caught up into heaven, he said, I've got the mystery that you've been looking for, and that is Christ in you, the expectation of the glory of God. Christ in you gives you a hope, an expectation, not only to receive from the glory, but to reflect the glory. Amen. 
So the knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall fill the, all the earth. How's it going to do that? Wherever we go. But there must be a consciousness that Christ is in me. And a greater consciousness that Christ is in me than the circumstances that surround me. A greater consciousness that Christ is in me, right, than the, 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 the offense that has come my way. A greater consciousness of Christ in me than my financial situation. A greater consciousness of Christ in me than that. So he said, how are we going to get this consciousness? So uh, uh, um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, he said, if you were then raised with Christ. So first thing you have to get into your mind, was I raised with Christ? A consciousness that I was raised up together with him, that I'm identified with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So if I was then raised with Christ, I should seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, to set my affection or to set my mind on things above, my consciousness on things above, not on things on the earth. Why? Because I died, the reality is I died, and my life is hidden with Christ in God. The reality of my life is not in these circumstances. The reality of my life is where I am in Christ. And so I set my mind on heavenly realities. Not heavenly realities out there. How God in the plan of heaven came into my life. I'm more conscious and thinking and setting my mind on if Christ is in me or since Christ be in me. How does that totally transform and affect my life and my thinking? Praise the Lord. And so he says that to us. So he continued to talk about that, meditating on the word of God. Why do we meditate on the word of God? Just to memorize scripture? No. If we meditate on the word of God, we may memorize scripture. But then we realize and understand that the spirit of the living God, the very life of God, he is the one who breathed upon writers of old. And this word right here is alive. This word has the very DNA. The same DNA of the Spirit of God that lives in me is the same DNA that's on the page with these words in it. These aren't just words on a page. These words brought off of the page by the Spirit of God have the same life in them as the life in me. So he's not just translating it into memorization. He's not just translating it into a a good story I can tell. He's translating it into a story that I'm about to live. So therefore, I'm not just hearing the word and not doing it. I'm hearing it, understanding its spirit and its life. And it's the same from the same spirit that's in me. So when I receive it into my spiritual senses, it's being translated not into words, but translated into life and action. So when I'm conscious of that, then I'm not coming to just hear and go, okay, what did he say? I'm, I'm hearing what the Spirit of God is saying because he's starting to tweak life. He's starting to move and transform life for me, not just so I can get an idea, so I can share with somebody my knowledge. No, he wants to bring us to a place of, yes, sharing that knowledge, but application. So he said, why do we meditate the Word? To get a greater consciousness of what God has said, not just memorization, but this is what God said, and I'm 
conscious of it. I'm more conscious of it than the news. I'm more conscious of it than the person who offended me. I'm more conscious of Christ in me and all of his promises to me and what that means to me than I am of all of that. Are you all with me? And so he was always wanting to bring us to that place of consciousness. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Right? So a lot of people go, and as Alan said, you know, the playbook is up on the, on the shelf, uh, you know, until they think they need it. But, you know, if you're an athlete and, and they give you the playbook, you memorize that playbook. Yeah. But you don't just memorize the X's and O's in football. You memorize it and then you practice it. So when the, 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 the gun goes off, when, when the, 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 the count, the quarterback, the count is spoken and the ball is hiked, you're not thinking, okay. Now, my X said to go over this way, and my O said to guard this. No, you're not thinking that. You have looked at the X's and O's. You've memorized where you are in the playbook and the X's and O's. Then you've gone out and you've practiced it. You've gone the wrong direction a few times, but you've come back and then you move to the right until you're conscious of the fact that when that ball snaps, this is where I go. I'm not thinking about where I go. I know this is the play called. This is where I'm going. And I live out that playbook. That's really God's intention for the Bible is not just we know the X's and O's and we could put it up on a chalkboard and then we could tell you that, that we're, we're living out the, that X's and O's. It comes to our consciousness. In other words, that, that center, it's in his consciousness. That right guard, it's in his consciousness. Right? So whatever we're conscious of. We have that. So he goes on. Paul says this. You know, James said this in James chapter 4. He's talking about God's uh, jealousy, that, that they're living according to the world. They've, they, they've just enjoyed all the world. And he had to say this. He said, or, or is it that you don't know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? So what's he saying? He's trying to teach them. The world is more in your consciousness than God is. And God and the world system are opposed. So obviously, being born again, if you're, if you're loving the world, engaging with the world, you must not know or have in your consciousness that God is not in the world, the system. Because if it was in your consciousness, you certainly wouldn't go live with the world. You'd live with God. Right? So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6... He starts talking to the Corinthian church, and he says, wait a minute, what are you guys doing? What are you doing committing sexual immorality? He pauses for a minute and goes, wow, this feeling of sexual immorality and, and, and all that stuff, that must be more in your consciousness, because he says, wait a minute, or did you not know that Christ dwells in you? That you're a temp, the temple of the Holy Spirit. He even got, tried to get a picture so conscious in their thinking. He said, did you not know that when you engage in sexual immorality, you are actually engaging Jesus in that sexual immorality? Yeah, he goes, hmm. What was he saying? You are more conscious of your desire for sexual immorality 
than you are that Christ is in you. Because if you are conscious of Christ in you, you would never engage him in that sexual immorality. Hmm. So there's no condemnation, right? Paul is just saying it must not be in your consciousness. So I'm bringing you the truth, the word of God, so it starts to get in your consciousness because when it's in your consciousness, you'll live his life through you. And his life was pretty glorious. Right? His life was pretty, pretty glorious. So in Romans, you know, they, he said, man, where sin abounds, grace is more abound. They said, well, then we should sin so we could see grace. And he's like, excuse me? He said, sin was already abounding through Adam's sin. He said, I just explained it. Sin was already abounding. And because it was abounding, grace came and abounded more. So he had to tell them, you guys are thinking, if I sin, then grace will abound. He said, no, sin already abounded, and grace came, and how much more? So he said, or did you not know, or was it not in your consciousness that if you died with Christ, then you also raised to a newness of life? Because if that was in your consciousness, you would never want to sin just to see grace abound. And so when we begin to look at the power of the blood of the cross, we see the nature of the cross. What is the nature of the cross? The nature of the cross is self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. But it wasn't just in that moment of the cross. See, Jesus was trying to get this across to his disciples in, in many different ways. Jesus was, you know, when he told them, he said, listen, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He told the rich young ruler, he said, you've done a lot of good things, but one thing you lack, sell what you have, take up your cross and follow me. So he wasn't talking about them being crucified on the cross. He was talking about the nature of the cross. And, and for Jesus, his nature, the nature of the cross brought was culminated in the actual physical cross. And his blood, the blood of the cross meant that he went clear to the pouring out of his life. But all of his life, he was proving this one thing. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. All right. I have to kick it into fifth gear here. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Listen to this. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through flesh. What is flesh? Flesh is the old nature Flesh is the self-life, self-determination. So listen to this. So, so what the law couldn't fulfill because the flesh, self-determination was weak, was weak. He, Jesus, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh or self-will always set their mind or their consciousness or their attention on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded, self-will minded, self-life minded is death. It moves you away from God. But to be spiritually minded, again, you got to go back a couple weeks. I don't have time. I'm going to have to run. But the, the blood and the spirit agree. In other words, the life of the spirit comes on the inside of you. So if I'm alive with the will of God, the spirit of God, then I'm mindful, not of whoo, spiritual things. I'm mindful of the will of God. I'm mindful of God's movements, God's motions. And so Jesus continually, his life was full of this. His life was full of how do I 
find, how do I reach my goal and my divine purpose, which was what? Setting his kingdom up on the earth. So he was ever tempted with an option of how to set up his kingdom right here rather than the way God had it. So right there at 12 years old in Luke chapter 2, he's, be, he's been bar mitzvahed. He's hanging around uh, the priest. His mom and dad go two days journey, find out that they're without Jesus. They come back and he's like, uh, why are you here? So he was challenged right there. Do I do what I feel like doing right now or do I go home? Well, he yielded to his authority and he went home. And in that, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So then he came out. Right after that, he entered into his earthly ministry. He was baptized in the Jordan. He came up. The Holy Spirit came upon him. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. For 40 days and nights, he was challenged with self-will. He was challenged when he was hungry to turn the rocks into bread. He was challenged to gain the kingdom by by bowing down to the enemy. He was always challenged with self-will or God's will. Forever, do I just go ahead and yield to this and set up my kingdom? I could do it easier than going to the cross. But he continually, always, every day of his life was conscious of the will of God. But listen, it says he came in the flesh. And in the likeness of flesh condemned sin in the flesh. Why? Why did he come in the flesh? He came as a man with a will of his own. Jesus didn't come as a robot. He came as the second Adam. Adam was perfect, but with a will of his own. As we've already said, he chose self-will. I think this tree is better than God said it is. He chose self-will. So Jesus, the second Adam, in the flesh, came in the flesh with a will of his own. But every day yielded his will to God's will conscious that God had a purpose and that God was with him and the Holy Spirit was in him more conscious than his will. So in the flesh, in a self-will, a choice person, he chose God, not sin. The enemy said, create man, create him with a will. I'll always get them to come over, make their own decisions. And Jesus said, we'll put the stop to that. I will never make my own decision, even though I can. And so in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was really under it. He was sweating, as it were, drops of blood in distress of what was right before him. And challenged to the most, you could get out of this right now. You could do something different. God, can't we do something different? Nevertheless, not my will but thy will be done. He goes to Golgotha and he hangs on the cross and he could have called 10,000 angels to get him off the cross, but he said, no, I'm hanging here till it's finished. And when he did, pow, all the way through, not my will, but God's will. And he condemned self-will in the flesh. And he said, listen, I'm going to restore Because I started without sin, and I was able to make the choice for God all the way. Where Cain could not, he was under sin. And even though he had self-will, he chose self-will instead of God's will. Because he was under sin. He said, but I've broken that. And now I've forgiven you, and I've cleansed you. And if we embrace it, he cleanses our consciousness of sin, of self-will, and brings our consciousness to God's will, because now we're born again. We're born of his spirit, born of his life. He said, you just need to get conscious 
of it. And so he said, through my self-sacrifice, I've broken the power of sin. And now I've washed you of sin, but every day you get to be conscious of my will, because I live in you, or your will. You get to choose. But to recognize my choosing is sin. So, of course, I'm doing this, sharing this uh, as I'm processing it with a couple of people that I'm working with and, and talking to throughout the week. And so, you know, tension arises. We had an awesome week. We had things going on. And so busyness of life, losing focus, Um, get a little irritated with my beautiful wife here. I think I have something to say that will clear some things up. And right on the inside, you know, probably right now is not a good time to approach this. And so I'm like, all right, all right, I'm not going to do this. But, you know, I'm always thinking, what is going to be a good time to approach this? (laughs) So I won, you know, the first time. Then a little later, it comes back. And it's like, you know, it's still not a good time. I said, well, you know, in my estimation, now is probably the best time. And so I said what I wanted to say. And it wasn't a good time. usually never is. But on a normal basis, we, it could have been a little bit more of a situation like, well, yeah, she just didn't understand and just had to say it and well, whatever, you know, and sorry, sorry. And we go on with life. But the hook, right? The enemy's got the hook. But in this, God defining, I'm just, thank you for being here, helping me process this. Helps me understand. In that, knowing that, it just stirred up big in me. I'm like, man, I got to, I got to go in my sanctuary, get in my car, take a drive. And I'm just, the Holy Spirit's like, seriously, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I thought it was a good time. I mean, it didn't have to, it had to be said, didn't it? It just had to be said. He's like, no, it didn't have to be said. That's why I told you not to say it. <laughs> and so he's like, what, what, what is it? What did you just do? And I knew. I said, I sinned. I chose my will over your will. I sinned. I sinned against you and I sinned against my wife. Confession of sin. So if you're not conscious of it being sin, you won't confess it. And it'll start to pull, it'll start to dominate. So I can say whatever I want when I want. But I had to confess it so he could forgive me and cleanse me. Then I had to go home and ask my wife to forgive me. And I got quiet. I mean, you want miracles in your life. When we got revival, people want revival to take place. We start to realize, wow. So what's the power of the cross? All right, I got to wrap this up. Power of the cross. The power of the cross, Paul said this, Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. In other words, my consciousness, I'm well aware that the old man of self-life is dead. But here in this body, I'm still alive. But it's no longer I that lives. It's no longer the old self-life dominated by 
uh, his own nature. It's now Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh body, the one that used to only live by self-choice, self-life, self-desire, now he's inhabited this body to do his will, his life, right? Which I'm just going to bring you back to is not like his will, drudgery, oh God. It's to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue those areas that God's given you, to take authority over the power of the enemy, to walk above the fray and reign in life, not be reigned over by life. That's God's will. So now I realize I'm more conscious of the Spirit of God in me. Praise the Lord. How did Jesus do that? He continually had that battle. But because he was more conscious, he said this. He said, in all the challenges to do self-will, he said, I only do what I hear the Father. I only say what I hear the Father say. I only do what I see the Father do. In other words, he was more conscious of God than he was of the pool. So he could say that. So when we start meditating the word, we are conscious of what Christ has done, conscious of Christ in me. Then the next time I want to go to give somebody a piece of my mind, I have to say, is this exactly what Christ wants to do? Because if Christ isn't going to engage in this strife, then I'm not going to because Christ is in me. If Christ is not going to be offended with that person, then I can't be offended with them because Christ is in me. If Christ isn't going to engage in this immorality, then neither am I because Christ is in me. If if, if Christ is not going to go to the bar, then I'm not going to the bar. Because Christ is in me. But if Christ is going to love that person instead of being offended with him, then I guess I'm going to be loving him. I guess I'm going to be forgiving him. I guess things are going to be changing in my life. If Christ isn't experiencing this pain, ooh, so that's just mind over matter. No, it's really not. It's con- being conscious of the reality of Christ in you and who he is and all that he's provided above all the circumstances. When we make the circumstances more real than Christ in us, then we will experience that which we're more conscious of. And our Christian life isn't all about what we do. Our Christian life is who's in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And he's in us. And our understanding that we died with him and were raised to a newness of life is the power of the cross, but the essence of the cross is self-sacrifice. So I'm going to read this and then we'll close. Y'all still doing all right? Got a little quiet on me. It says, now this, uh, now, this spirit of obedience, this sacrifice of self, which bestowed on the cross is infinite, it, it, cross, its infinite value, bestowed that value also on the blood of the cross. Here again, God's, uh, God reveals to us the secret of the power of the blood. The blood is the proof of obedience unto death, by the beloved son, proof of that inner nature, which choose to offer it, meaning the blood, to shed it, 
to lose his own life rather than commit the sin of pleasing himself. It is the sacrifice of everything, even life itself, to glorify the Father. The life which dwelt in that blood, the heart from which it flowed, glowing with love and devotion to God, and his will was one of, the, one of entire obedience and consecration to him. And now what do you think? If that blood, living and powerful through the Holy Spirit, comes into contact with our hearts, and if we rightly understand that the blood of the cross means it is possible that the blood should not impart, uh, it is possible that the blood should impart its holy nature to us. But as the blood could not have been shed apart from uh, sacrifice of self on the cross, so it cannot be received or enjoyed apart from a similar sacrifice of self. That blood will bring, the blood will bring to us self-sacrifice, a self-sacrificing nature. In our work, there will be a conformity to and an imitation of the crucified one making the self-sacrifice the highest and most blessed law of our lives. The blood is a living, spiritual, heavenly power. It will cause the soul that is entirely surrendered to it to see and know by experience that there is no entrance into the full life of God except by the self-sacrifice of the cross. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand up? One little warning. This message comes with a warning. If you have been listening and embracing what we said, you may only get out the front door and be posed with a great self-decision. If not, throughout the week, my way or his way, my way or his way. But as we understand and we're conscious of life Uh, the life of God in us. And more and more, we are conscious and decide with him and his will. That life of Christ is going to become more alive and more conscious. The healing power, the delivering power, the consciousness of the wisdom of the Holy Spirit knowledge will become more and more. It'll help us resolve problems and situations in our life. It'll help us stretch out and reach out to those who are hurting, those who are lost. It'll cause a total transformation of who we are. Amen. So these aren't just words spoken, but they're words to be made alive and to be lived out. Father, we thank you for this time that we have together. Holy Spirit, I ask you right now to do what only you can do. And that is bring revelation to every heart and every life. I pray over each person for that personal encounter with you. That you would begin to work the understanding of the blood cleansing our consciousness of sin and dead works. That we're more conscious of your will for our life than we are of our own. And that in the struggle that ensues about that, that as sons and daughters of God, we would yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit knows your will. And will guide and direct us in your will. And so we commit our ways to you. We acknowledge you in all that we do. That you truly might direct our paths. And in that, we would, you would reveal and open up to us the very will of God. 
Fill us with the knowledge of your will, with wisdom and spiritual understanding. How glorious it is, how great it is. That in you we can be fruitful, multiply. That we can reign in life. We can subdue things and bring them into the obedience of the word of God and watch them totally turn around and be transformed. Thank you for moving on every heart and every life. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Say as we go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. Be dismissed. Make it a great day. Until it's good Hello